0: everybody,
1: thanks for being here with us. Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to our friend, Scott Simon. He's the
0: founder of the Scare Your Soul movement and new author of Scare Your Soul, Seven Powerful Principles for Harnessing Fear and Living Your Most Courageous Life. We had such a nice conversation with Scott. And um, it got us thinking about, well, what do we want to do to scare our soul? I just want to bring up, like, Scott is going to talk a little bit about his fear later on about in the episode. Scott's going to talk about his fear of public speaking. And it's, you know, it is kind of the number one thing that people talk about. And there's even places like Toastmasters where... You can go and try to overcome your fear in in an environment where you can create what it's like to stand up in front of a group of people. And my story about public speaking, well, first of all, Steph and I, when we started the business, we had one mentor who would tell us that the minute we stood up, our voices changed. And we knew it, but we didn't know how to undo it. So I can say that I went to law school. I didn't do mood court. But in that story, I always thought I would enjoy being a litigator. But I couldn't get up and talk in front of people at all. Like my brain shut down. But I said yes every time someone asked me. And it meant like a week before of like, why did I say yes? And then doing a really crappy job. And then a week after beating myself up for saying yes. And then getting asked again and doing the exact, it was like a rinse and repeat. And I would say it was over 20 years And I spoke one time, another time where someone asked and I said yes. And I was panicked and I got up and I did it. And for some reason, 20 years of saying yes, I got up and I was completely comfortable. And afterwards, someone came up to me and said, you are such a natural public speaker. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, 20 years, 20 years of scaring my soul.
1: So that's a great segue because one of the things I kept thinking about when we talked to Scott and our listeners are going to hear is what scares someone, one person's soul doesn't scare another person's soul. And he was giving these examples and I thought, oh, right. It doesn't, like I hear scare my soul and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not jumping out of an airplane. Oh my God, I'm not bungee, you know, like all these crazy things, but that's not what it's about. It doesn't have to be something huge. It can be whatever you want it to be which I love because there's a million things that make me, it's more like make your soul uncomfortable (laughs) versus like scare to me is is so big. But it's a lot about the places where we feel discomfort and naturally maybe would shy away from. It really resonated with me because, so I, I had this long discussion with
0: Scott several times now. I still haven't done it. I want to go to a movie alone which for people who go to movies alone, it's the most absurd thing. But for me, I've never, ever gone to a movie alone. And I want to do it. And it's like, okay, but I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, so, I'll go with you. <laughs> you know, that is the common response when I tell people. I've told a number of people because I want to put it out in the universe. And most, the most common response is, well, I'll go with you. And it's like... That is so not the point. I don't have trouble going to the movies with a friend.
1: That's not the. Oh issue. my god, it's hilarious. <laughs> that yeah, is hilarious.
0: Yes. Anyway, so you know, for f- so many of us, it is. It might be the physical. It might not be the physical. Like I have two kids who love the physical. One bungee jumped, and one f- jumped out of a plane, and they both would do it again. I there's nothing about me. It's I am terrified of it, but I also don't care. Like there's no reason why I have to do that. But, you know, it's like, what matters to you? Like, what makes you feel like, I should get over
1: this? Like, I should try and do this. What's your thing, Steph? I think mine would be, there are definitely like some hikes that I have followed online and watched people do it. And I'm thinking, oh, I'd really be very scared to do that particular thing. But I think I could muster up the courage. So I think mine would be, It's probably more physical things for me. I think as a kid, I was scared of so many things, (laughs) which makes the bucket really large of things to choose from at this point in my life, because I was scared of my own shadow, literally. I'd say it's maybe um, some physical challenges that would make me really uncomfortable.
0: So I added it as a question to the Thanksgiving table, like we did the, what are you grateful for? And then that was after the, the soup. And then after the main course, I said, okay, now what are you scared of and willing to commit that you're going to try and do something about it? And it was really interesting. Like, first of all, it totally fit the personalities of the people around the table. The ones who don't really like sharing too much had very like strategic tactical, I want to do this. And then the sharers were more like, I just found myself in this situation where every, like, so someone at the table is in a major at college with mostly men and they mansplain her all the time, even though she, it appears that to herself that she's doing better than the other students. Like she catches someone else's grade and she's done better than them. She puts out an idea and it's the one that generates the whole conversation but they're all mansplaining her. And she's like, I am standing up for myself next time. And we were like, you go, that's amazing. So, you know, it's like everybody has the thing that uh, is sitting somewhere. I would say you might not want to say it out loud. It might be like you need some time to think about it. But everybody had a little discomfort with that thing that bubbled right to the top. Here's our producer, Hannah. Hannah, do you have a thing, Hannah?
1: Yes, okay, I really really hate dancing and acting both of those things freak me out and i would never want to do them ever and it sounds extremely humiliating to even attempt to do in front of people and i was like why is that so loaded to me i don't really know why but i did reflect on it a bit i have to say
0: so do you want to go dancing one time oh
1: no (laughs) (laughs)
2: but there's another part of it too
1: which is I think that part of this comes from the fact that a few years ago for my mom's birthday she was like let's go to one of those like swing dancing night things but she didn't understand that a big part of that is like the social mixer element of it and so it was like (laughs) me as a 19 year old and then my cousins who were like 16 and like 12 and then we were being forced to swing dance with like random adult men and it was a really bad time My God, like, uh, you are scarred. It you are scarred bad. from the
0: experience. It was bad. Okay, but I think we could find a way to do it that wasn't scarring. Yes,
2: you? yeah, I think you're right. You're right. I could find a way for sure.
0: Okay, so you, I'd like you to come to the movies with me, but that defeats the purpose. <laughs> I'm not going on Stephanie's hike, but I would go
1: dancing with you. Okay, okay, we'll add, we'll add that to the cow. We'll find a okay. way. Oh my God, that is so <laughs> funny, and it, this this is this conversation is so on point from. Like, I, when you said that, Sue, that you've never been to a movie by yourself, I'm like, wait, how could that be? Because I lo- like that's solace for me, going to a movie by myself. Even in
0: the book, Scott's—the stories that people are telling of what they did are not things that I struggle with, but I totally felt the emotion of
2: yeah being scared
0: of something and then putting it out to the world that you're going to do it and then doing it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really a challenge. and And, I mean, truthfully— it's kind of a good thing to do all the time. Like it's not a one time. I'm not going to do go to the movies alone. Well, if I ever do it, <laughs> I'm going to go to the movies and then I'm going to say, what's the next challenge for me? Because it is there is something empowering and life-changing about doing things that you're scared to do. And then when you do it, you take the power out of it and there's a high around it, right? There's a, this endorphin yes. high yeah. and like, do it again. What's the next thing? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to report back to you about dancing. (laughs) And movies and scary hikes. We're going to report back on all of that at some point. And up next is our conversation with Scott. We can't wait for you to
1: join us.
0: Our guest today is our friend, Scott Simon. Happiness entrepreneur, yes, that is something, and he is that, founder of the Scare Your Soul movement, yes, and the author of the upcoming book, Scare Your Soul, Seven Powerful Principles for Harnessing Fear and Living Your Most Courageous Life. He is a public speaker, meditation leader, and high-performance life coach. Scott, thanks so much for being here with us. Do one thing that scares you every day. It's right there on the homepage of your Scare Your Soul website. What does that mean to you?
2: Well, it really means making a choice. It means every single day finding an opportunity to push a comfort zone, to step into discomfort, to find some way to push yourself you know, scare is a really interesting word, and I'm sure we'll get into discussion about why, why my organization and the book are called Scare Your Soul. But really, to me, it means finding those moments where fear or discomfort is stopping us and choosing every single day to step into that space.
1: Scott, you've been on a journey since we met you many years ago, starting with taking the science of happiness at Harvard. Can you recall the moment that prompted that journey?
2: Sure. I call these things sliding door moments, which is what Dr. John Gottman and later Brené Brown popularized from if you've seen the movie Sliding Doors, you know there are moments in our lives where something happens and you just can't go back and you're you're irrevocably changed. That happened to me at a yoga retreat center in Massachusetts where I had gone to attend a yoga workshop and It was sold out by the time that I got there and had to go to the front desk of this very beautiful and rustic place and ask them what else was happening that weekend. I was there for an entire weekend and I had to find another program. Everything else was sold out except for a weekend studying the science of happiness with a Harvard professor. And I thought to myself, eh, it'll be okay. And I stepped into Tal Ben-Shahar's workshop and never looked back. I was so absolutely besotted with the concept that you could study what makes people happy. You know, and that moment really changed everything for me. I, I decided that trying to find ways to make people happier in my in my own life was the passion I wanted to follow. And it's been an incredible journey ever since.
0: Okay, so I just got to pause and say, serendipity and planning like you literally get there and have nowhere to go and kind of pick the default only option because you're there and your life follows this entirely new trajectory like and we say to 17 year olds what do you want to do when you grow up and your life turned on some friggin
2: dime that is absolutely right and you know i think about that all the time and it actually kind of underscores what Scare Your Soul is all about as an organization. Because when we take opportunities to push through fear, we're opening a door. And we really don't know what's on the other side of that door. When we take chances, we take risks, we push, we're not assured what the outcome will be. And that's really, in my view, where magic starts to happen. You know, That's where those sliding doors start to open. And we end up someplace, maybe it's not what we expected. But it's going to be a place most likely replete with growth and with connection, certainly with adventure, dealing with the unknown, all of those kind of qualities that lead to a really rich and fulfilling life. And, you know, we're so kind of overburdened with the concept of what would happen if I failed? What would happen if people see me fail? You know, what would happen on social media if, if, I, if I do something and it looks embarrassing? And we get, you know, we get Hamstrung by that so often. So, scare your soul really, and, and, and my life has been kind of an example of if we just push in little ways and we say yes to little things, big things start to happen.
0: The science of happiness is like this thing you happened upon, right? And then is there a natural, you moved into this scare your soul. Are they embedded in each other? Is that part of the learning you had in that program? Because they kind of seem to me, a little different.
2: They are embedded into one another, and I'll explain why. So much of what makes us happy in life deals with how much we're growing or not growing, as the case may be. When we're in a when we have a growth mindset and we start to do things in our life which lead to whether it's physical, emotional, relational, whether we're connecting with other people, whether we're working our own bodies, whether we're expanding our minds or learning new things. It's, it's growth in so many ways that leads to the kind of things that make us happier in life. We enter growth often when we push through comfort zones. So I was just absolutely wowed by this concept of what happens if we push comfort zones every day. I had actually had an experience earlier in my life on a uh, plane traveling from the U.S. to Israel when I was 21 years old. I had just come out of a childhood that was really burdened by, I was bullied, I was very shy, and really, in many ways, tried to make myself invisible. And I took a job teaching English to Holocaust survivors in Israel, and found myself on an LL jet flying overseas, and had a panic attack. And I thought to myself, there is no way I can do this. I was already thinking about ways that I could land and somehow turn back around and come back to the States. And I, in the middle of this panic, pulled out a little Mead spiral notebook, and I wrote out eight words. They just kind of tumbled out of my pen. And it was, do one thing every day that scares you, which is a phrase that is often attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. But to me, it meant do something every day that pushes you. Do something every day that scares you in a small way. And for an entire year, that's exactly what I did. And it completely changed my life. So when I found the science of happiness, positive psychology, and all of this academic research, it synced up completely with the experience that I had had. And I thought, if there was a way that I could bring this to other people, that would be so powerful. And then uh, there were some experiences that led to Scare Your Soul kind of getting birthed. But that really, that's the linkage in my mind. It's that sense of pushing through a comfort zone to grow, which leads to greater happiness and fulfillment.
1: I love that your 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 intention or just like your inclination, I should say, was to think about how you could bring it to other people.
2: I think I've really been blessed in my life with both parents and with some mentors who have treated me that way. You know, they have they got excited about certain things and then brought those ideas to me. And so it almost seemed like a natural that if I had stumbled upon something, I certainly was not going to keep it to myself. <laughs> I immediately wanted to come back and find ways. And I still do to this day. Everything I do, which now includes writing a book and, and speaking, and, and I'm I'm so lucky to be in the position that I'm in, comes from a place of feeling like I have stumbled upon something so powerful and so human that it has absolutely nothing to do with where you're from or how old you are or what you look like or what your bank account is or your, or what it says when you step on the scale, that it is the most human practice of being courageous on a daily basis. And and when we inspire each other as we're doing it, it it's addictive. And I just want to talk about it as much as I possibly can because I think it just makes people's lives better.
1: That's lovely. So, let's while we're talking about... <laughs> Scary things, or doing something every day out of your comfort zone. What's the scariest challenge you've done? And don't say the one you haven't done yet. You can't answer that way.
2: That is such a good question. I feel like I've done so many. There was one that was probably the scariest. It certainly moved the needle the most for me. That was singing in front of a busy restaurant on a Sunday morning. Now, the reason that it was so scary for other people that, that may or may not seem frightening. When I was in 4th grade, I was in a preparing for a choir concert and our substitute choir teacher got really angry with me because I could not get one line correct in 76 trombones which is was the big kind of extravaganza of our choir concert in 4th grade. And each time that I screwed up, he would stop and start over. The entire grade had to start over. So you can imagine, I'm already shy. I'm already, I have a hard time speaking up in class. Now I have to sing a line. And he was turning bright red. And I, for the third time, I messed up. And he ra- basically ran towards me. I can remember his face like it was yesterday. He was wearing this Hawaiian t- uh, shirt with big palm trees on it. And he ran towards me and said, You. You cannot sing. Just mouth the words from now on.
0: That is terrible. That is is a heartbreaking story. Heartbreaking. By the way, this story is in the book. Everybody get the book. Scare Your Soul. And where can they buy it?
2: Anywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Your local bookseller. December 6th. December 6th.
0: Okay, so this story is one of the stories that moved me to tears. And now, keep going.
2: The real challenging part about those moments for many of us when we have, whether you want to call it a traumatic moment or a negative memory, something that affected you and sticks with you is in that moment, I went from loving singing to hating it based on one interaction of being embarrassed in front of my entire grade. And I literally did not sing for 35 years. And I'm not saying that I have a good voice. I actually have a terrible voice, but I literally stopped singing for 35 years And after creating, you know, going through this uh, positive psychology training and starting to encourage people to do things that push their comfort zones, I felt that it was time to confront my demon. And the only way that I could figure out to do that was to grab a guitar and on a busy Sunday morning in front of a very popular brunch restaurant, busk and sing in front of a group of strangers. And it was, I can tell you, walking towards that plaza. And seeing those people in line probably was the scariest moment of my life. And I just couldn't believe that I was doing this. I was doing it out of my own (laughs) accord. Nobody was forcing me to do it. And I was about ready to turn back. And I thought to myself, no, you have to go through with this. And I opened up my guitar case and I started singing. And it was terrible. And people looked annoyed. And, uh, but after a minute or two, I think my enthusiasm caught their attention. And a young kid threw a rum, you know, like a crumpled dollar bill into my case, and everyone <laughs> laughed. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I went from fear to complete joy and complete freedom and complete power in that moment. And I almost levitated my way back to my car. I just, that feeling is now one that I'm very familiar with. But at the time, it was this intoxicating broth that was going through my veins. And I came back and I wrote a Facebook post about it because as you now know, I love to share what I think are good ideas with other people. (laughs) And the post went viral and was shared around the world hundreds of times. And that's really what gave Scare Your Soul its momentum and really kind of put us on on the map. But that moment was so powerful for me to know that for 35 years I was afraid to do something and in 10 minutes of courageous action I eradicated it and that is something that I will never forget.
0: It's just so sad that it, that you had that moment but so powerful that you like that it set you down this path. I mean all the stars aligned for you to be doing this work. It's insane. It is mind-boggling how you were meant to be here today doing this work. So your stories inspired me. I have yet to do, I made a list of the things after reading your book that I'm going to do. And unfortunately, I wanted to be on this telling you what I did. But I I have I haven't done that list, but I've done other things that have scared the crap out of me, and I've done it. And it is—it's like it is life-changing. Often I do it because someone says to me, do it, and I want them to like me. But the motive <laughs> doesn't matter. I still do it. I still do it. So you've inspired so many people to go out now and, and, and more, many, many, hopefully many, many more after the book comes out, will go, say, I'm going to try this thing, whatever it is. So what's the scariest challenge that someone else has done? And I want to know the thing that you can't imagine you ever doing. So- They've done it, but you could never do it.
2: These are great questions. And I I think about this all the time because we have 80 ambassadors now and we we talk about this on our ambassador calls and everybody shares the kind of things that they're doing. And they are absolutely the most stunning, powerful, powerful, things that you can imagine. And, and part of the beauty of, of Scare Your Soul is we do it in community. You know, whether you do challenges because of our weekly emails, and then you post about it, and you get all these comments, and or you're involved with one of our ambassadors, there's this wonderful sense of, of community. So I think the answer to your question is, I would use two examples. And they're both completely different. There are some challenges that people do that I think are so easy that I couldn't imagine doing them because I would think, why would somebody ever even think of doing that? I'll give you a good example. We have an ambassador named Sarah Marie, who is a dancer and a weightlifter. She is so tough. I mean, she just exudes toughness. And I said to her early on, I'd like for you to come up with your own Scare Your Soul Challenge. And the first thing she told me was that she wasn't afraid of anything. And I told her, you know, get out of here. Come back to me in a week and and, and let's get real. And she came back and she, and she told me the following. She said, I want to hold hands with somebody for five minutes in a mall. And I kind of thought, huh, that sounds about the easiest thing that I could ever imagine doing. So I said, why? How could that possibly be courageous for you? And then she told me she was raised in an abusive home she did not like to be touched she did not hug people she did not want any physical contact so for her holding hands with a guy and walking through a mall was as courageous as me with a fear of heights leaping out of an airplane you know and that's when i felt like oh my gosh there is there's real magic here because when she told me her story i got shivers i mean and that taught me something and that is that we get inspired by other people doing courageous things even if it has nothing to do with what seems courageous to us. So there is this beautiful multiplication effect that happens. It's almost like ripples in a pond when you throw a stone and you you start to see these courageous acts and they build on one another and they just inspire and inspire. So that was one that seemed incredibly easy. I did talk with one of our somebody who actually contributed to our book. His name is Dave Romanelli. And Dave lives in Phoenix and is a meditation teacher and a yoga teacher. And his three year old daughter was diagnosed with leukemia as he and I were talking about the book. And he and his wife created a challenge for themselves. And that was to find gratitude and meaning in the midst of the worst thing that any parent could ever imagine. And I will tell you, I would leave it to you to to read his account, which is a first-person account in the book. It is one of the most beautiful, touching pieces of writing that I have ever seen. He said something in it where he said, to feel fear and consciously choose love was his challenge. Now, you ask me what would be so challenging and scary that I couldn't imagine doing it. That's my choice. I think that what he was able to do and do it so beautifully and, and graciously and gratefully, was amazing and inspirational. I will tell you, his daughter is now in remission. She is doing great. And his story in the book is absolutely so powerful. So that is one, you know, when it comes to my family and my children, it's in a kind of a completely different category for me. And and I found what he did and and his wife did just so inspiring.
1: Anyone listening to the podcast right now is hearing you with this what I think is all to me was always like a radio voice. You have this great voice, you're confident, and you tell the story of being this shy, bullied child, right? Do you remember a moment when that changed? Is there like one moment?
2: Can you can you share that with us? Yes, there was a, there was kind of like a macro shift, and then there was one moment that I, I'd like to share. So the macro shift was that year that I spent doing one thing every day that scared me when I was abroad because it was so intentional, and I literally had a spiral notebook, and I would write out each time I did something, and every day it was a new act, that created this massive shift in me. In many cases, the changes and the courageous acts were tiny. Maybe it was Smiling at somebody on a bus, or you know, saying hello to somebody. For me, so much of this was social anxiety. So a lot of it revolves around how I dealt with other people. But traveling alone, or opening myself up to new experiences, or talking to people from different faith backgrounds, and all the kind of things that I did that year really shifted, and uh, you know, who I was and the way that I viewed the world, and really the way that I view myself. As it relates to speaking, I think that is such. It's such a great question you ask because it's pretty well known that public speaking is the number one fear that most people have, even more on the list than death. So it's clearly something that a lot of people deal with and and I have dealt with my entire life. And I would say two things. One is, I never stop being nervous, ever. I was nervous before talking to the two of you. I'm nervous every single time that I speak in front of a group of people. It's not to say that I'm not confident or don't think that I can do it, but this notion in our world, in our society right now, that we should conquer fear and crush fear and annihilate fear, that it, somehow we're gonna get to a place where fear doesn't exist, I think is it's crap and it's counterproductive and it's, and it's wrong and it's dangerous. Because what it does is it negates our ability to enter the kind of things that we're gonna do that still bring up a sense of fear. And I feel fear every single day there was one moment that I was kind of forced into a speaking engagement. I was actually given an award. I didn't know that I was getting it. And I was I was involved in a nonprofit. There were 700 people in a ballroom. And all of a sudden, my parents showed up at the table that I was sitting at. It was a luncheon. And I thought to myself, why are my parents here? And I was actually so dumb that it, I didn't put two and two together. And about halfway through, they said, we'd like to give the Golden Shoe Award too. And they said my name And I actually had to get up and walk down and get up on stage and give an acceptance speech for an award that I did not know I was getting. No planning, no thought, no outline, nothing. And I paused for a moment, I think in complete terror. And then I actually looked at the person who had given me the award, who was an absolute mentor, an inspirational person for me. And I decided even though I was talking to the crowd that I was going to be just, that I was just going to talk to him in my own mind. And I literally, I think I spoke for seven, eight, nine minutes. It was one of the most comfortable moments I've ever had in my life. And then I kind of knew, you know, you, you can do this. You're still going to get nervous. You're still going to need to prepare, but you can do this. And so you know, if we, if we never give ourselves the opportunity, whether put ourselves in a position where we're asked to do those things or push ourselves to do those things, we never are given the opportunity to show ourselves that we can do it. And so for that to me, you know, that moment was really, really special. And I public speak all the time now, but again, I'm nervous every single time.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard you speak in many different places to kids at high school. And until I read your book, I was, I mean- there's no ounce of you that makes you believe that you were shy and couldn't get in front of a group. So I, I don't know. It's a miracle. Your story is a miracle. You do these daily things. You did it when you were in Israel. You, I know you have another story about doing it that's in the book, and you talk about it, how you share with a friend this, these daily gratitudes. My question to you is, when I try to do those things of any kind, whether it's like good deeds for a year or... At some point, it starts to feel perfunctory. I am doing it because I made the commitment to do it. And it loses a little bit of the goodness to me, and I end up stopping. How many years have you been doing sharing gratitudes
2: with your friend? I received an email one day from a woman whom I did not know. She said in the email, my name is Carly, and I would like to come over to your house on Saturday night at 10 p.m. Would that be okay? And I, first of all, thought I was completely getting punked and somebody had sent it and it was a joke. And I went on Facebook and found out that Carly indeed exist, existed. I did not know her, but but she was a real person. And that was one of those moments where I thought to myself, you know what? I've got a choice here. I can say no or not respond or I can step into discomfort. And I chose to step into discomfort. And I said, absolutely, I'll see you at 10 p.m. She arrived on my doorstep and we sat on my couch that night for four hours. And she told me that she was desperately unhappy in her life. She was going through a divorce. One of her children was very, very sick at the time. And she had seen the work that I had done in Scare Your Soul and just felt like she wanted to reach out and in some way get happier. And we had a conversation that bonded us for life. And it wasn't until she was actually leaving and kind of on the doorstep of my house, ready to leave. It was one o'clock in the morning. And she said, you know, this week is going to be hell for me. I think they had called in the lawyers. They were at the final stages of their divorce and it was getting messy. And she said, would you send me five gratitudes by text for a week every night? And I said, of course, I'm happy to. And she sent me the next night five gratitudes and I sent her five gratitudes. And we continued on for that week and then we extended for another week and we've since been doing it for 7 years so that's about 13,000 gratitudes that we have shared with each other without repeating by the way we we don't repeat gratitudes which really goes to i think the core of your issue sue and that is when we do something that that really isn't contributing to growth when there's something that we're doing just habitually or as a ritual That we feel like in our heart of hearts or in our bones is just not serving us anymore, we lose the zest for it. So, my advice would be if it's a healthy practice, if it's something that you feel like you should keep doing, change it up, inject some juice into it in some way. For many people, that's bringing an accountability partner to the table because there's something when you're doing something with somebody else that you hold each other accountable and you're responding to somebody else and you're you know, you hold yourself to a higher standard. I know every single night that five gratitudes have to make their way to my friend Carly by text. So I spend my days looking for things to be grateful for because I know I have to send that text. That is a wonderful way to lead life. And in many ways, it goes back to the scare your soul concept of doing one thing every day that scares you. I literally every single day pay attention to the choices that I get to make, and I find an opportunity to do something that scares me. And my gratitude practice really kind of set the stage for that. I think if it, if it feels perfunctory, maybe either you've grown through it and it's time to choose something else, or is there a way that you can adapt it, if you can kind of amp it up in some way, or bring others to the practice with you, I think it'll it'll give it the zest that it needs.
0: When you told each other you weren't going to repeat, when I heard that, I was like, "Why do you have to do that?" But then I, in fact, think you're right—that that's the thing that keeps it fresh and doesn't feel like you're saying. Because every day you could say, I'm, "I'm grateful for my kids," right? My kids' health, their whatever—and you don't do that.
2: Absolutely not. And to take it kind of one step further, and I write about this in the book. One of the things that I've learned most about having this gratitude practice is I find myself being grateful for hard things, challenging things, sad things. Because as I've gone through seven years of daily gratitudes, I've come to pay attention to the fact that sometimes the things that we think are the worst, the saddest, the most tragic, end up being the biggest gifts. Oftentimes, if I'm to look at my text to Carly or hers to me, we literally are texting, this thing failed miserably because we know in the end there's gonna be something learned, something gained, and there's something just beautiful in being grateful for the fabric of our lives. And that doesn't mean rosy, you know, rose-colored glasses every single day. In fact, that isn't like real life. I wanna be grateful for real life, not fake life. So to me, I've learned so much from that practice And I really, you know, we have a, we have one of our ambassadors who's a cold shower expert. He's actually written books on cold showers. He feels very much the same way about a cold shower practice. You would think, first of all, who would want to do that every day? Ever? How does that, you know, it sounds awful, right? Ever, ever, or how boring, right? Like you do it once, you do it twice. It's uncomfortable. You, you jump in your shower and you scream and you yell, And then you're done. Well, for him, he finds something new in that practice every single day. And he's done his for, I think, 10 years, a cold shower every single day for 10 years. So, you know, I think we all, this isn't a cookie cutter approach. I think we all need to find those things in our lives, which both push us and serve us. And when we can find that nexus between push and serve, that's when we really find something special. I happen to think, although I love my gratitude practice, I happen to think a courage practice is, that's to me the most powerful because that unlocks so much of the connection and growth and beauty and adventure in life that wouldn't exist if we keep ourselves bubble-wrapped into a comfort zone.
1: Let's talk about parenting and scare your soul. Has this journey impacted your parenting? Can you share some of that with
2: us? First of all, I think it's impacted my parenting in every possible way. I'm a divorced parent, I have a co-parent who is probably my closest friend on this earth. And that I think is a direct result of my work in Scare Your Soul. Any relationship, whether you're married or divorced, has its challenges, its pushes, its pulls. And I do not shy away, and and my amazing co-parent hasn't either, from those hard moments, the challenging moments we we stick at it we we are present in those moments and for me that has created a life for us as a as a as a, a you know a quote unquote modern family that has really worked beautifully for us so i think not shying away from challenge leaning into challenge leaning into hard times and even sad times as a parent i remember moments where especially when the kids were younger, where I would have my days with my kids and then I would drop them off and, and come back to my little apartment and I would see their American Girl dolls or, or their GI Joes on the floor and I, I would like to double over in pain. It, it just, it felt like I couldn't, I couldn't handle how hard it was. And when you accept that as just the way you're going to lead your life, there is this beautiful moment of acceptance and it has led us to lead this very wonderful and diverse kind of a life. So I think everything about my parenting is about leaning into discomfort, leaning into challenge, as opposed to avoiding it. We have a very honest family. We share truth with each other. I guarantee you, my children share their truth with me, and I share my tr- truth with them. That, to me, has led to this very kind of open, trusting relationship. I do think that it's really important for me to say that my kids are who they are because of who they are, not because I lead a courageous life. I think they're really proud of me, and I do think that there is some role modeling that I have done that has led them to be able to be adventurous, but I also was courageous enough to embrace the reality that they are who they are, and they have their own paths, and they don't have to follow mine. In fact, you know, both of mine were, you know, neither of my kids were bullied. Neither one of my kids certainly are shy, I can assure you of that. And they have followed this completely different path. And so accepting the fact that they're going to follow a different path than me has been something that I had to struggle with. I I my challenges were what fueled me and, you know, I had to, you know, at some point kind of come to terms with the fact that my kids were going to have their own journeys and paths through life and I, you know, I really embrace that. So that That part has been a really interesting part of parenting.
0: I never, ever make plans with somebody and don't do it. But if the plan is with myself, I can often find a way out of it, right? So I think just that fact alone would make me, if I said out loud, I'm going to do this, I would have to do it because I'm not a person who would
2: not do it, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Okay, so here's my last question, then Stephanie gets to wrap it up. So knowing you for years, Scott, it is truly, it was so painful and raw to read your story as a child, and also so hard to connect you today with that kid. But I thought, like, you have, you have earned your badges so well and so loudly now and so publicly. What do you tell the kid who's feeling like you did as a teenager today? And, you know, what's your message for them?
2: Every time I speak to a group of teenagers, I have this secret line of kids that come up to me afterwards who tell me that they're leading the life that I led. Those kids are so special. And those kids are, have such a beautiful future ahead of them. And I'll tell you why. I think going through challenges as a teenager is is especially raw and especially hard. You're trying to figure yourself out as others are telling you who you are, and there is something that is so raw about that period of time where you're trying to find this place where you're popular and accepted and you belong, but at the same time you're a rebel and you're you're, you're individualistic and you've got parents telling you one things and thing and friends telling you another, and your own intuition is telling you a third. And for kids that are shy, and if they are uh, have the misfortune of being bullied, they're saddled with you know a sense of shame oftentimes, which is what happens when kids are bullied, that there's this feeling that they don't want to share it, that it's shameful, that they don't want to talk about it. And my view is that is going to make you, and this is what I say, a richer, deeper, more empathetic human. That every quality that is going to be beautiful when you're an adult, all the qualities that are going to make you the best significant other, coworker, friend, mentor are being inculcated in you right now, literally in this moment. What I don't do is try to say it's okay and feel great about it because it's, that's not reality. But what I try to do is to give them a sense of the road, what the road might look like ahead. And the road ahead, I believe, is one, if I'm to look at my own life, where my struggles are now my fuel. I don't forget my struggles. It's not that they don't exist anymore because I can speak in front of a group or or uh, write a book. It's that they fuel me because I remember them. And it makes me empathetic of, of the others that are going through the exact same thing that I went through. And that just makes me the kind of person I want to be. I want to be an empathetic person, and I want empathetic people around me. And I want people who are ambitious, but ambitious to serve, ambitious to give, ambitious to translate and communicate powerful ideas. Those are the people I want to be with. And I know when I talk to those people and I hear about their past, most likely those are going to be the ones who say to me, boy, it was a bumpy road. It was a really bumpy road and I got through it and I still have little, you know, jangly nerves here and there. And sometimes I get, you know, that nerves get hit and, and it affects me, but it makes them deeper, more powerful, more empathetic people. And, and that's really, that's the kind of person I want to be and want to be with. Once again, what am I supposed to say at this point? <laughs>
1: it's kind of like, <laughs> thanks guys. Okay. All right. All right. All right, Scott, we have one final question for you. Can you wrap this up with one story that you've heard that really just touched you, impacted you, something to leave our listeners with?
2: There's one story I think that that I always return to again and again, because I there's so many thousands of people now that are involved in Scare Your Soul, and I, I get the, the benefit of getting emails and text messages and calls all the time from people who have done incredible things. But I did receive a phone call from one of our Scare Your Soul ambassadors. She lives in Long Beach, California. And she called and she said that she was out for a walk pushing a stroller with her Scare Your Soul baby. And I thought to myself, what could she be talking about? What is a Scare Your Soul baby? And she told me the following story. One of our challenges, so as you may know, we have a challenge that comes out every week on a Wednesday. And the challenges change week to week. It's uh, sometimes they're old, old, oldies but goodies. Sometimes they're brand new. One particular week, there was a challenge to have a tough conversation. Now we all know that most likely we have a tough conversation in our lives right now that we are avoiding. So this is one of my favorite challenges because it basically says to the person receiving the email, "It's time to ante up." You know, you can either continue to shovel this under the rug, or you can have that tough conversation with your boss, coworker, husband, wife, child, etc. So this wonderful ambassador of ours told me the following story. That was the challenge that week. She and her husband at the time were going through marital therapy and she had decided that it just wasn't working and she was avoiding telling him they had put in so much work the two of them. And the challenge came out that week and she thought about it for several days and then she said, "You know what? I'm going to do it." And she sat down with her husband and she said, "I think we need to we need to call it a day, it, it's time to, to finally separate. And to her surprise, he said, you know what, I've been thinking the exact same thing. They separated, ended up getting a divorce, which was not easy, it was hard and it was sad. And in the process of going through the grieving process as she was getting divorced and becoming a, uh, a single person, she met, her uh, remet her old high school boyfriend who had moved to Long Beach, and they reconnected and he was there for her at this very, very challenging time and was kind of a shoulder to lean on. And the two of them became closer. And you can probably imagine where this ends up. Yes, they got married and had a baby. And so when she called me and said, I'm pushing the scarier soul baby in the stroller, it all hit home with me that these little, what we think sometimes are little choices that we make sometimes they're not so little. The consequences of taking a courageous act sometimes cannot even be estimated. We don't oftentimes know we have to have the benefit of time and the benefit of experience. But if you do something every single day that scares your soul, you know you're going to be opening doors, opening up avenues, meeting people, having new thoughts, having adventures, and maybe having scare your soul babies. At the end of the day, and that, to me, is one of the most beautiful, powerful things that I can say about the work that we've done.
0: Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not having a scare your soul baby, but I'm just going to put out there, Scott, that like the ride with you is joyful. We cannot wait to catch you on the next wave of whatever you're doing that's magical. Everybody should get your book, Scare Your Soul, out on December 6th. Six. six. Um, And (laughs) yeah, I mean, just thank you so much for fitting us in. You're going to be having many, many, many podcasts.
2: No, thank you guys so much.
1: Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of
0: that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about your team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your
1: choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your team with Sue and Steph is a production of
0: Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Koltnow. We'll see you next time.